Hi, friends. How are you doing? Are you doing okay? It's been a really tough week for all of us. And this is the first episode that we're sharing after the murders in Atlanta. And just wanted to come on before we share our interview today and let you know that we care about you, that we're thinking about you, and we're all in this together. So if you are listening to the Asian Americans for the first time, welcome. We share Asian American stories here. And we start with where people are from, learning about their families' origin stories, which helps us understand everything that they've gone through and what they dream of becoming. I just wanted to say that we love you and that we're doing okay here. I want to say thank you for your support here through the podcast and online on Instagram and let you know that we're not going to be doing anything other than sharing our stories and fighting for all of us to make sure that we can exist in this country that we deserve, that we have a right to exist in this country without fearing for our lives. This episode that you're hearing today uh, is hosted by our March guest host, Tiffany Huang, and she interviews her college friend, Zareen Shaw. Uh, Zareen is a correspondent with ABC News, and um, if you did not get a chance to watch the Murders in Atlanta special that aired on 2020 over the weekend, I encourage you to go back and do so. Where Serene makes a, a very special appearance and, and shares her own experiences as well of, of all that's happened. We recorded this before the incident, so it may not be with the complete residence and context of what has already occurred. Um, and just wanted to share that with you. So thanks again so much for tuning in. Uh, we hope that you're doing well. And if you want to chat with me, uh, we encourage you to reach out. Uh, you can email us at hello at theoriginamericans.com. And I'll be uh, more than happy to chat with you and however we can. Thanks so much. And here now is our conversation with Tiffany and Zareen. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans. I am Tiffany Huang, your host for the month of March. March is Women's History Month, and this month we will be sharing stories of exemplary Asian American women to not only celebrate them, but to inspire us all. Today, I am excited to welcome a dear old friend of mine, Zareen Shaw. Zareen is a Los Angeles-based news correspondent for ABC News and frequently appears on World News and Good Morning America. She was also most recently the Kamala Harris embed slash campaign reporter for ABC and is currently, to the best of our knowledge, the only female South Asian correspondent on network TV. She's on an impressive trajectory and we're so happy to have her on the show. Hi Zareen, how are you? Hey Tilo, how are you? Oh, I'm so good. Uh, it's been so long since we last connected, but I've definitely been following your career from afar, and it's really been so inspirational to see your rise in the world of journalism. Um, Thank what, you. Yeah, yeah. What Thank I would say is, yeah, of course, we're so glad to have you. And um, what I would say is your status in, in the media as a woman of South Asian descent is of particular importance, especially now as as we as a community continue to move toward equitable representation. Um, we're really, really excited to hear your journey as a journalist, but um, tell us how you're doing. <laughs> the last 14 years. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm good. I mean, you know, it's so crazy. We were just talking about the last time I think we really hung out, you and I was, it was in our sorority, you know, 14 years ago. Yeah. And it's just so wild to think of just so much has changed since that time. And if you had told me that you and I would be, you know, on an Asian American podcast talking about representation. I, I don't know. I don't know if I would have believed you back when we were, you know, 18, 22, but it's, it's incredible. Like how much the world has changed and this sort of duty that we feel to pass on to 
the next generation of Asian Americans and to just really support the, the community that, that's rising in, in these various fields that, you know, I mean, I know, I know my community isn't fully entrenched in the world of journalism yet, but, um, but it's growing, it's growing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, in that time, we've, we've really grown up. I've become a parent two times over. So this, this definitely has a special place in my heart in terms of like the world we're trying to build for our parents. To my, to my parents, for yeah, future generation, I was going to say to my parents' disappointment, I, um, I've also become a parent, but to a dog and five embryos. So <laughs> you can imagine how my Asian American parents feel about that. Well, that's a good segue because, um, you know, usually at the top of the show, what we usually do is, is share our story about our parents' journey um, to America. So we would love to hear that. Yeah. So I came over, you know, obviously with my parents when I was two and a half. And my parents, I was born in Pakistan, their, and my dad's business was hit hard. And he, like so many other people decided America is the land of opportunity. I'm going to pick up everything and come to America. So he literally came with two suitcases and, you know, my mom and, and uh, me, and, you know, it was, it was a struggle for them as it is for so many of some, so many of our families. Um, I'll give you an example. My dad was a, a chain smoker. And there was a moment where he tells a story all the time, how he just stopped cold one day because they couldn't afford to send me to preschool anymore. And, you know, they, so they cut back on, on, you know, various long, you know, old habits in their life, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, they really struggled the first many years and that had, that really set up a lot in my own life. You know, when I started in journalism, I started in the mailroom at the LA Times, like literally pushing a mail cart and working for minimum wage for the longest time. Because I think when you see your parents go through this struggle and and then you just see how hard they work and eventually, you know, it pays off. Um, yeah. It is something that you can, you know, yourself mimic. And um, yeah, I, I just learned a lot about grit and hard work through watching them as a kid. Yeah, I mean, I can relate to that. I think all of us did. Our parents were, as first-generation immigrants, just trying to survive, honestly. Totally. Um, just yeah. trying to survive. Yeah. And what kind of business was he running uh, back in Pakistan? Um, they had all sorts of things. I know when, I mean, look, I don't really remember. I was two and a half, to be honest. But when, when we came <laughs> here, he had a leather business and he had, um, he imported rice. And, um, but when he, when he first came, he didn't even have that up and going. He was a limo driver when we first came here. I remember he, us, him telling us that story and crazy stories of him being, you know, a limo driver slash taxi driver. And my mom sold, um, like makeup out of Avon boxes. Do you remember those? Like when we were kids, that yes. was like a big thing. Yeah. Like, well, you know, deliver stuff door to door. Like she'd have her, you know, her neighbors, what they wanted to buy and stuff like that. And so these just worked hard. I mean, all the time, you know, yeah. and it was hard to make ends meet. I remember as a kid, it was really rare that I had the things that other kids had. You know, all those little things that I did get felt like such a privilege. It's it's funny how like that stays with you for such a long time. Like I, yeah. I when I started dating my husband, it sound crazy, but when we when we went on our first couple of dates, like I would always finish what was on my plate, and no matter like like how slow I was going towards the end or how, and he was like, you don't have to finish that. And, and it's like this thing, like when you like, 
and in my household, like, I mean, how dare you throw away food, right? Like, yeah. Um, my parents were just, just trying to get by and I would get in so much trouble if I didn't finish my food. And it's one of those things, like, there's so many things like that I had to unlearn in my adult life. Cause I was like, Oh, okay. I'm not super poor. Like, <laughs> you yeah. Know? And, yeah. um, like, you know, like, 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 you know, that experience that we had when, when, you know, when we were really, really young, when we came here with our parents. Yeah. I mean, that's money scarcity mindset. Right. And I, I will tell you personally, like I still struggle with it myself as well. It's hard to unlearn something that was, you know, so set in with you when you were young. And mm-hmm. and when you guys first came here, is, is it Torrance that you settled in or were you guys in a different city before that? So when I was, when I was two and a half, it was Washington state. And then by, by the time I was three, oh, it was, uh, I, mean, I don't remember it at all. I was so young, but by the time I was th- three, we had moved into, um, moved to Torrance, which is, oh, it's, wow. the, uh, my parents found comfort there because there were so many Asian Americans and in, in the area and it was, you know, known for good schools. And, oh, um, of course, so yes. that is why they chose, Torrance. <laughs> you know, ironically enough, I remember, um, my, my, I don't remember my parent, my mom tells me the story of how, you know, she sent me to preschool the first few days and didn't speak a word of English. English was not my first or second language. It was my third. And, you know, speaking of unlearning, you know, you know when you just brought up, I obviously learned English, you know, pretty quickly um, after not being able to speak to classmates for like the longest time. And I slowly unlearned those other languages. And I think it was, an, it was to assimilate, right? Like there was like this yeah. desperate need as a kid. You're like, Oh, I need to be like everyone else. And I spoke back to my parents in English and it wasn't until I became an adult, actually. It's funny that I was like, Oh my God, I lost so much. Like I had this, I had this when I was a kid and it's gone. So. Oh, I completely feel you on that because um, I have a five-year-old daughter now and we actually have put her into Chinese immersion school because I, my mom, I've actually asked her and I'm like, why didn't you keep the language alive with us? Like, why did you do that? And she's like, well, you know, we're in America and we thought, you know, <laughs> that we should speak English because we're Americans now. And, you know, it's something like I personally regret because like all these years later, I couldn't even communicate really with my grandma, right? Like the older generation. And it's a huge loss if you think about like the storytelling that you're missing. Um, and it's just, I think it's just such a miss. So I, we're actually kind of, you know, making sure as parents that we instill the culture <laughs> with, with our children, because, you know, just having lived through that, um, it was a miss. That's so funny because that's exactly, I mean, look, I, I, I don't have kids right now, but that's exactly my goal because that's something I lost. Yeah. And so, of course, I want my kids to have this rich South Asian American experience that ironically, I did not myself experience as yeah, much exactly. as I would, would like to. So, yeah, because it's a fabric of who you are. And I think it was, you know, in a sense, society trying to tell us to shed that <laughs> in, a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you so crave belonging. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, rem- I remember even, you know, um, there were times where my mom would wear like the traditional sari. Mm-hmm. And I remember being horrified as a kid, like, oh, like, I wonder what my friends are going to think. And I remember you know, I covered Kamala Harris for, for ABC. You know, when she made her big announcement that she was going to run for president, she brought up her family on the stage. And I was totally shook seeing her auntie 
wearing a sari on stage in front of 20,000 people and national TV and be like, oh, I remember seeing that outfit and, you know, as a kid being horrified of it. And now like, yeah, yeah, like, like being so like shook by seeing this woman on stage. Yeah. I'm sure the little girl and you felt seen too. Yeah, it it brought back my childhood. And of course, like a little bit of regret too. like, gosh, why did I push that stuff away so much? You know, so despite the fact that you grew up in Torrance, which was, you know, a more heavily Asian American populated city, did you still feel that otherness growing up? You know, I mean, I'm trying to think even at UCLA, when, when we were together there, I don't know if it really hit me. And when you're a kid, I mean, does it really hit you um maybe I would say you know if there was a moment if it was after 9-11 for me yes where I realized I was an other um because I remember fearing for my parents I remember people kind of looking at me different I remember being afraid like having this nervousness going into airports um and feeling the sense of like oh people are looking at me and they're afraid of me um and that took a few years to actually go away um that I think that's the moment it hit me that I am an other here yeah it's 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 really sad when it happens yeah yeah I mean and it's it's something that Asian American community is going through right now I mean I personally myself like I don't think that I can remember another time where I've felt like I've had to double think going somewhere just because of the way that I look um and it's frightening. So scary, it's yeah. Scary, yeah, and it's atrocious, the things that are happening to people um, just because of the way that they look. And it comes in waves because, you know, I think back to being in college with you. I don't remember feeling it, but then I remember, of course, it came back as anti-Muslim rhetoric in this country mm-hmm. ramped up just a few years ago. And yeah. that whole wave, that fear coming back and feeling again like the other. Um, and now sort of like there, there's enough, you know, it, it, it comes and it goes. Um but it's, it's terrifying when you feel it. Um, yeah. And so tell me more about what you were like when you were a kid. And did anything in your um, experience growing up really spark this journey into journalism? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, no. maybe, maybe just like, I mean, I you know it's funny. I think of those things, those moments now, and maybe I can, I can look back and be like, okay, maybe that was something, right? Like, you know, I mean, just like something as small as not being able to speak to your classmates for so long. And, you know, now you're at this point where, you know, if you were to ask me like what, which stories I love, it's the stories of giving someone a voice, right? Like, I mean, little things like that, but I I don't know if there was a real moment to be honest. And the the real moment came, I think much later um, in my twenties when I remember seeing Zane Virgie on CNN and there was this woman who looked like me I'd never seen that before on television, on CNN with Wolf Blitzer. She, not only did she look like me, her last name rhymed with my maiden name. Her, she had a Z name. And I was like, oh my God, like what? Like, I can't believe this, like there's this woman on TV. And I just watched her all the time. I was fixated by her. And, um, you know, the analogy, I guess, to someone, you know, who might be Gosh, from a community that is maybe more represented is it represented is imagine turning on the TV for the very first time seeing someone from your community look like you. It's 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 a really fascinating experience. And look, I loved I always loved writing. I loved um communicating. I was I, I love information. Like I mean, I guess I could say like just being a sorority, like 
I love being the first person to know something, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I love being able to tell people things. Yeah. Um, so maybe like there's a little bit of that like throughout my childhood that I, I maybe perhaps drew from, but I remember seeing her and, and I found her email and I, I reached out to her and she actually emailed me back and she, um, yeah, it's, it's so funny. Cause like now I do that to younger girls and they're just a surprise. I'm like, Oh no, yeah. no, someone did it for me. It's okay. Like <laughs> right. you'll do well, it for someone else one day. Exactly. But that's, that is the power of representation, right? Isn't and, it so powerful? And just yeah. Showing you what's possible and then giving back, um, which is what, what we're trying to do here and, and build more representation for all the little people out there today. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really, it's really cool because especially now younger girls will tell me the same story I'm telling you about Zane. And it was really, it's, it's really cool to, to now be on, on this end and, um, to be making that the difference now. But I, yeah, I remember speaking to Zane and she just had this assurance in her voice. Like, yeah, of course you can do it. Like I did it. <laughs> so of course, like looking at her then, I was like, wait, you think I can do this? Like, that's crazy. And, um, I remember asking her for advice when I got into grad school, um, I was choosing between like Medill and Columbia. And she was like, Oh, it's a no brainer. You should go to Columbia. And of course right. I did whatever Zane told me to do. So I went to Columbia. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, that, that was, that was the first time I remember really thinking, Oh, I can do this. Yeah. There's someone else out there who looks like me I, who's doing it. <laughs> I love that because so much of success really is, I mean, obviously there's passion and there's grit and determination, but sometimes it is just having that mentor or that helping hand or that person that even tells you that, yes, it is possible um, mm -hmm. to, to keep that driving force or that fire within you lit, right? Mm -hmm. I love that. It's, it's really, really powerful. Um, I think about her all the time. I think about all the other women who you know, who paved, paved the way for me, you know, I mean, I can tell you at the top of my, uh, you know, top of my head, you know, Rena Nainan, Amin Nawaz, uh, you know, Aditi Roy, um, you know, they, they were all people, women I watched, you know, as I was in local news and I was, you know, wanting to maybe one day work at the network. Um, it's really powerful to have people yeah. um, as role models. And so did you go into UCLA knowing that you were going to be a communications major? Is that what you had declared or did you change I, I was, it? I was, I was calm. I mean, I knew I loved, I loved, I think I wanted to get into marketing. Like, I loved the power of communication. I loved, um, I loved television too. I mean, all I did was, I mean, I watched a ton of TV just growing up. I mean, I think that was kind of like escape from like from life, right? Like, yeah. um, uh, but no, I, I, I definitely never knew that I wanted to really be a journalist until until I saw Zane on TV and there were a couple other things that collided at the same time I mean this is this is a long story but my cousin in Karachi Pakistan got kidnapped um around that very same time yeah it was it was wild um he's fine he's, he's okay they gave a big ransom um but I remember at the time like you're sort of you're, you're the bubble of the world that you have sort of bursts especially when you're in your early 20s Mm -hmm. and you think about just the rest of the world that exists out there. And um, yeah, I remember seeing Zane report the news as I was devouring the news about yes. that part of the world. Um, and it was those an intersection. two things kind of collided, yeah. Yeah. And um, going back to your childhood, um, and, you know, I don't know everything, obviously, but from an outside lens and perspective, 
I feel like I personally and and in my culture spent a lot of time, you know, with my head down and, you know, just trying not to make noise. But mm-hmm. Pakistani culture, like, is so rich and so bold. And it's so interesting <laughs> to hear you. Oh, my God, I was such a quiet kid. I was so shy. <laughs> but it's so interesting to hear you say that, um, you know, like that moment with your mom in the sari and, and being mm-hmm. embarrassed. Um, did your parents really make it a point to to keep the culture alive with you guys? Yeah, look, I, I don't think they ever... They they were just themselves, right? Like we ate South Asian food all the time at home. We yeah. we took trips to Pakistan all the time. You know, growing up as a kid, we you know I, I have tons of um, you know saris and shalwar kameezes and outfits. Um. So I, I there there was never sort of like this this notion of they they never tried to Americanize us. If yeah. anything, they really wanted to keep the culture and tradition going. Um, right. I think it was, it was, it's the kids who try to push that away a little bit. Right. And I remember even getting into journalism, you know, I mean, look, I was an adult when I decided I wanted to get into journalism. My mom still tried getting my sister to convince me out of it. Um, <laughs> and she was like, you got to tell Joe, it's just, it's not going to work out. <laughs> and, um, you know, obviously I'm so, I, I'm so stubborn. Like that, that didn't work at all. And, um, for years, but look you at know, you my parents, <laughs> well, yeah, but like it took so long, like for years, my parents didn't really understand. I don't think what I wanted to do or they weren't sure it was going to work. I mean, look, neither was I, right. Like you go in a, like a right. really journalism, you're never really sure. Um, but I had this moment. It's so funny. Like it was literally just this week. Both my parents are now fully vaccinated. And so I went to visit them this week and um, I interviewed the California governor last week and they were like, you know, telling, telling them about it. And they said, Oh, we, I said, Oh, I have a 10 minute interview. You want to see it? Thinking they probably wouldn't care. And they were like, Oh my God, of course. And, (laughs) and I was like, Oh, wow. My parents want to see my interview. Wow. Like it just felt kind of foreign to me that they were really excited about my work. And we just sat and we watched the whole 10 minutes and they were totally wide-eyed about it, that their daughter was interviewing the state's governor. And even though look, I think you and I understand it's, it's a big interview um, or a rare maybe interview, um, I feel like a lot of times we feel like our parents maybe don't understand fully maybe how hard certain things are. I'll give you another example. I covered the yeah, like I, or like just how hard some of these these interviews are to get, right? Like, I, I covered a, you know, the unfortunate story of of Tiger Woods's accident this week, yeah. and my parents said, "Oh, did you interview Tiger?" And I said, "No, that's not how it works. Like, what do you mean <laughs> did I interview Tiger? Like, and I was, <laughs> I was so mad at them for even asking that, right? And but it's like a lot of times our parents don't fully grasp the process and and how are, you know, how these like industries work really um and the dynamics and so it was it was really meaningful for me to just just to watch them watch you know just that one moment in, in my in my yeah. work um and so I feel like it, it takes a long time like those first many years I, I still don't really feel like they got it and now more so I feel like more often they're kind of coming around so it's exciting. well we can't we can't ignore you you're a force <laughs> no, no, I, I still still think a lot of times they're not, you know, they, they still have a lot of questions about what I do or they're, they're not fully, you know, 
I would actually yeah. love to see them explain to another Asian American, like what, what my job is. I, I don't think <laughs> I've ever heard them do that, but yeah. you should, you should definitely do it and record it and send it to me. <laughs> I, I, I think it would be curious. a very, very simplistic, simplistic answer. But yeah. Yeah. So you said that through the course of your journey into journalism, you started in the mailroom at mm-hmm. the Los Angeles times and then she mailed her. Re- yeah. Minimum wage. <laughs> I wasn't even working five days a week and I'm guessing because they didn't want to give us health insurance, but I mean, yeah, it, was, it was bad. Yeah. And then, so how long were you there and kind of what pushed your career along? Was that after Columbia or before? No, no, that, that was before. Um, I love broadcast news and I knew I had to go to journalism school to, to, you know, go, go to the next thing and um, make the next jump. So um, went to Columbia, um, when the whole local news route, uh, you know, Sacramento to San Diego to LA. When I came to LA, I mean, LA is the number two market in the country. I thought I would be here forever. Like, right. It's, it's a great market. I was working Monday through Friday, full-time job, um, which is very hard to get. Um, and then it was very clear to me that Kamala Harris was going to announce, uh, her run for president. And, I really, really wanted to cover the race. Um, you know, I, I knew that I would be tough on her. I would cover her as fairly as everyone else. But I was, of course, intrigued by the fact that there was a possibility that a Californian and a woman and a woman of color could possibly cross the finish line. And if that was going to be the case, I wanted a front row seat to history um, to see that. And so I took I took a big pay cut. I took like I lost a third of my paycheck. You know, like taking the job I did to be an embed, you know, most people know it as, uh, or would understand it as being a campaign reporter. You're basically attached to the hip of these candidates and you travel the country with them. I have been to Iowa more times. I lost track. I have no idea how many times <laughs> I've been to Iowa. Um, uh, and you know, you, you, you learn everything about them. You are the eyes and ears of your network for this person who it's, it's, a it's, it is worth it to these networks to assign someone to cover them day and night because this person might end up being the most powerful person in the free world. Right. Right. So there were like 18 of us and my beat was, uh, was the Kamala, Kamala Harris beat. And, um, you know, it's it's so interesting because as, as we now know, (laughs) her campaign did not work out at least a presidential run. She dropped out. She was one of the bigger candidates to drop out earlier. I, mean, I remember the date. I'll never forget it. It was December 3rd. Um, I think it was a Tuesday. And um, it's so interesting because people now, of course, we, we talk about how, you know, she she is a success story to so many women, right? And and I feel like what I remember the most and what was most powerful to me covering her was actually her failure um, and watching her those last few weeks yeah. and watching her as a woman just try to hold that campaign together, um, try to smile and push through when there was only a few dozen people in that Iowa house, you know, showing up to her event. Meanwhile, a mile away, there was thousands of people for Buttigieg and Warren. Um, the, the cash went dry, the polling numbers plummeted. Um, people were wondering if she would have a political career. They were thinking Tom Steyer would, would primary her for, you know, for, for a Senate run. Um, and, and so seeing her at this low, low point and then seeing her literally just a few months later 
end up being picked for the second most powerful person in our country. Um, it, it's the craziest comeback that I've witnessed with my own eyes. And I think so often we look at men and, you know, we, 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 I think that the stereotype that we have is, oh, a man can fail. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and as women, I think often, um, at least I fear for myself, like, oh, I can't mess up because I'm not going to get a second chance. Right. Yeah. And then you see someone, another woman, um, have a colossal failure and have this incredible comeback. And um, it was, it was fascinating to not just see a woman, but to see a South Asian woman go through that. Yeah. And I think it's so meaningful. And because I feel like as women, we just by default don't have as many opportunities. And that is why those opportunities matter so much to us. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I know. Yeah, absolutely. For, for, for myself, at least, like I feel like when an opportunity is presented, like there's so much pressure, so much weight mm-hmm. on your shoulders to yeah. to not miss to not miss your shot, right? Yeah, so. exactly. But I mean, it must have just been such an amazing experience for you to have that proximity to her, and to to think of like little girls, Irene, and <laughs> like now finally seeing something so big come to fruition. Um, and she's now our Veep. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> it's it's pretty. I, I yeah. I mean, I remember um, on the campaign trail all the time seeing her interact with young girls, and yeah. they were just so wide eyed, um, looking up at her because they had never seen someone who looked like them in exactly. you know on, on a podium with thousands of people around and. Someone they had seen on, you know, wall to wall, you know, t- TV, run, one run for the highest office, um, and that was something that that wasn't not common for um, for kids yet. So no, uh, yeah, I mean, from a personal perspective, <laughs> when they finally won, when Joe and 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 Kamala finally won, I I was crying at home, you know, and and my daughter didn't realize what was happening, but it was such a a feeling of just ceilings being broken, you know? Um, and it was historic. And and I think for me personally, it just meant so much because it's also opening doors for her that she doesn't even realize are closed, you know, on a on a daily basis. Oh, she um, she believe me, through through following her, she knows. She realizes and and I think she is she's one of those oh, people I'm sorry, where I was, referencing my daughter oh your daughter your daughter i'm so <laughs> yeah, sorry i'm yeah, so yeah, sorry yeah. i'm sorry no, 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 come on knows believe me <laughs> oh yeah i'm sure she knows she knows what's uh, up <laughs> yeah it, it, yeah i mean she she is so intentional about about because she she sees these women watching her right and you know, i remember following this young girl charlie she's i think 11 at the time no, so she was nine at the time i met her she's 11 now and she followed kamala through this whole journey of you know the beginning, the dropping out, the becoming VP. And um, I interviewed her when she, you know, right, I think right on inauguration day. And Charlie told me that when Kamala says, um, I may be the first, but I won't be the last. Charlie said, that's my calling. She's talking to me. And, um, you know, she, she, and I'm sure, you know, many other young girls like her uh, feel that, she's really speaking to them when she, when yeah. she says things like that. Yeah. That again, that is why representation is so important because if you don't see it, you don't feel like you can model it. Right. 
it was certainly important for me. Like I remember, and I told you seeing Zane Vergy. I don't, I don't know if I would have ever ended up in this role had I not seen Zane on CNN. Yeah. Um, it was, it was a big moment for me. And then what about um, just tying it back to being a woman? Like, have you felt that your, your journey um, has, has been impacted because of, of being a woman? Like, has there anything, has there been anything in your experience that has been tied into that? Every day, every hour. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's the real talk, right? (laughs) Um, I mean, yeah. Like what, what isn't impacted by your, you know, your gender or your identity, right? Regardless of which, which you are, which box you fit into. Um, you know, especially I I feel like, you know, I I sometimes feel like in in today's society, that's maybe a little magnified a little more. Um, but yeah, you know, I I mean, yeah, I I do, I do think it it plays a role. I think, um, look, we, we, we talk about the world becoming a more equal and and fair place. And I feel that too. Um, and, and I think, I think if anything, I'm just hopeful for, for this progress to, to keep going the way it is. And, and, you know, I, look, I, I mean, I am the only, at the moment, the only South Asian female journalist I know of on one of the big three networks, but there's so many young South Asian girls who are right there too, who are, who are almost at, at the next step. Um, mm-hmm. And so and I don't know if that would have been I don't remember that being the case. I mean, I feel like now in almost every local market, there's at least one person I can point to and be like, that kind of looks South Asian, actually. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't remember that growing up. So, um, no, it know, certainly I, I, wasn't the case. <laughs> it certainly wasn't the case. So I do but feel like, I feel like that to a more equal place. Yeah. And I'm, you're, you're in that sense, I feel like, you know, you, you're trailblazing as well, right? For, for all those young people. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think of myself as that because I think of someone like Zane like that, right? Because like she was before me and then yeah. there were so many other women who I looked up to who also led the way. Um, but yeah, anything I can do to, to help and support other women, like of course, like I am happy to continue paving that way along with all these other women who came before me too. Yeah. And then you had mentioned something earlier about... Um, you were the mother to five embryos. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you can imagine. You can just guess how my Asian American parents felt about that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> tell us, tell us about that journey if if, if you're open to it. <laughs> uh, oh my, oh yeah. Okay, are you kidding me? Like, I mean, <laughs> I'm totally open to it. Um, I, you know, if it wasn't for other women talking about it, I don't think I would have done it. So I, I'm all for talking about it. In fact, the what triggered me to do it was the, was the the push was seeing this woman on a segment on KTLA on my local broadcast do a whole story about it. It was emotional. It's a beautiful story. Um, I can't remember thinking on her last name, Wendy, when Wendy's her first name. And I called my gynecologist, I think, I mean, just like weeks later and was like, okay, I need to learn more about this. And for me, like, look, I, I did it when I was right before I turned 35 Mm-hmm. And I felt like, you know, I don't know if your, your listeners know, but 35 is like the age, yeah. right? Where like, they tell you, you know, like someone it's has a geriatric pen. Right. Pen I, I, don't, I don't even know who, who it is, like what organization, <laughs> like, right. It's like, they've decided that you are going to be called this after 35, yes. it's be this kind <laughs> yeah. of pregnancy and, and it's going to be higher risk and it's going to be higher risk. And, and the medic, like everything's more expensive after that. And, 
And it just gets like, right. It's like they build it up. It's like so scary after that point. And so I was like, all right, I'm doing this before. Um, I didn't, I, I just didn't want a kid. Uh, I, I still don't. Um, but I, but I think I will one day. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I will one day. And, and when I do, I, I fear that moment will have passed that I can yeah. actually do it. And so, you know, it's, it's funny, actually, I don't, I never told my bosses the story, but when they offered me the campaign embed job, my, one of my first calls within half an hour of them offering me the job was to the fertility doctor. And I was like, okay, guess we're doing this. Like, I mean, if I'm going to be on the road for the next year and a half, I have no more time to spend thinking like, am I going to do this or am I not? Like I am leaving in a couple of weeks to go on this journey. And so, um, we did it and we have, we have five now. Um, I don't know. I know, I know people get uncomfortable hearing about it. So I don't know how much you want me to talk about it, about about like, you know, some some of the specifics, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's an incredible process of having that assurance that, um, like nothing's really guaranteed, but, but feeling as assured as I can, that I may be able to have a kid one day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the reason why, um, I asked was I was wondering if, you know, the career was, was also the driving force in that decision as well. Maybe, yep. Partly. I mean, for sure. I mean, like, look, I mean, I, it, it helped move the decision along. Yeah. Um, but that said, I still, I don't, I can't really imagine. I know every, all, God, every, all my friends my age have kids, <laughs> all of them, <laughs> but um, it's just not something my heart desires uh, right now. But I don't know. I, I think it will, I think I, I didn't wake up one day. And I'm yeah. just going to want it. And um, I didn't want my it. biological clock to determine that. I wanted to determine it, which is, oh my gosh, it was no, such a hard that's, moral decision, that's, right? But that, I think that's fantastic <laughs> that we even have that as an option. The option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But science science is incredible. So yeah, so yeah I, I, I remember, I think I was offered the job something like at some point in March and I started April 1st. So it went fast. Where, oh, I mean, wow. it was literally the second that we could start the process, we did. And um, I remember flying to New York and I didn't tell any of my coworkers that I'd been through this process because I, I just started this job. Like, what am I going to say? Like, <laughs> hi, I have five Hello. kids now, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> right? um, uh, but I remember feeling so bloated and feeling so physically um, not where I wanted to, like how I wanted to feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, you know. That was, that was, it was an interesting first couple of weeks. So. And then, so did you make the decision and then tell your parents, like, how did that go? <laughs> oh, I, I, you know, I think I'd been telling them for a long time. Like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to freeze my embryos. Yeah. And my dad was, uh, my, my dad especially was so annoyed about it. He was like, if you want to have kids, just have kids. What is this freezing thing? You know? <laughs> and my mom was just like, rolled her eyes. She was like, you know, like, if you want to just do it, just do it. Like, I, like, like, no one else, literally no one else that I know of in my community has frozen um, or, or like people go through the process all the time if they can't have one. Yeah. Not if they don't want to have one right now. And um, I think that's really uncomfortable for a lot of people in my community to hear mm-hmm. um, because, you know, there is there's a sense of how things are supposed to be done. Um, but it's your so. life. <laughs> it's your life and you're taking control of it. So. And I mean, that, I mean that's certainly the, the way I see it. So yeah, yeah, I mean that's definitely the way I see I see it. But yeah, it's um, 
we'll, we'll see, we'll see how it goes, you know, but right now we have, we have, well, you know, we call him a child or our baby, we call him, um, it's like 15 pound chihuahua mix. <laughs> who, <laughs> What's who your fulfills all of our desire. His name is Miles Davis. Okay, uh, this is why I remember seeing a dog because my son's name is Miles. And oh. I remember making the connection that your dog's name was Miles. He's, yeah, he's, um, he's, 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 we just love him. So. Yeah. And then um, as far as like, because I know, obviously, you're, you're married. And has that also, you know, just being on the campaign trail, um, like, how was that? in terms of like, I know he traveled sometimes yeah. well, right? Oh my gosh. He, yeah, God, you really did your research. Jeez. <laughs> no, because I follow you. You're my yeah, friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, or you have good memory, I should say. Um, yeah, he, he would come out to the campaign trail all the time. I mean, at least, I mean, close to, I would say close to a dozen times. Yeah. During, I mean, look, the pandemic hit a certain point, right? So like all, at some point, the campaign trail traveling stopped. But he, you know, Rishi came to Iowa twice, came during the Iowa caucus. He um, came during the, 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 the weekend that uh, Kamala was like shooting up in the polls, like right after the first debate. Um, he went to New Hampshire with me. He went to Nevada, I think at least twice. He ran a caucus in Nevada because he was just hanging out. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he, he got so into it. He came to Texas once. He flew all over, and the cool thing about uh, about my husband is he is definitely as much of a news junkie as I am, even though he does not work in this industry. Um, and I so love that he's the type of person where I can take him with me, and he will find a cheese shop or a bar, or um, you know, he'll drive to like the next state while I'm at my you know covering my Yang campaign event, and yeah. um, he'll find like a obscure like record store or something. So oh, I yeah. Love that. Cool. He's supporting his modern woman. That's what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I and then, look, look, being a campaign reporter, it's the best way to be an American. It's you you are literally traveling for the yeah. most part free. I mean, like you're working nonstop around the clock for months straight. But you know, it's it's also a cool opportunity to have some of just share some of these experiences at least with um, the people who are closest to you and to show them a little slice of American history too. So it was, it was really cool. Um, yeah. you know, like my, my husband, my husband actually met, well, he didn't meet Bloomberg, but he met two other candidates who I, I traveled closely with, with Yang, um, he met Yang and, and Kamala Harris. And it was just a fun journey for both of us. So. Yeah. He, he understood, he, I'd call him and tell him about it. And he understood like the whole story and the characters that were yeah. involved. And were you, were you covering Yang as well? Um, predominantly. So I stopped covering Harris December 3rd, and then I covered Yang until he dropped out. It would have been, when was the New Hampshire uh, primary? I guess it was like February 3rd, so something like that. No, no, it was like second week of February, something like that, right? So, so I, I covered him closely for a while. Um, and that was an incredible experience too. And, um, you know, he was so different. His campaign was so different from Kamala Harris's. I mean, we're talking about a, a guy who will admit himself. He didn't think he would get that far. <laughs> and he got really far. Um, and he's a fascinating person. I mean, you know, he's running for New York mayor now. Yep. Yeah. Um, and someone who speaks about the Asian American experience quite a bit. Um, yeah. uh, I, I was telling you before we started this podcast, how, 
I had an interesting revelation about my own experience being South Asian through him. Um, he would often tell me, I mean, Yang, of course, has been criticized, as you know, for, for his stereotypes of, of Asian Americans, but he would tell me often, um, you know, Zorian, you're so hardworking. He'd come up to me, Zorian, you're so hardworking. He told me multiple times. Um, yeah. And so I asked some of our other embed friends one time, I said, does he ever tell you you're so whatever, you're so something? You're, you're so, <laughs> does that ever happen? Because like, I remember thinking, wow, it, it maybe, maybe he just says this to everyone. And they're like, no, he never says that. And I was like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> he's telling me this. But then it, it hit me. Like it was like, like a stadium light like went off in my head. I was like, oh, I have been told my whole life I'm hardworking. This is mm-hmm. literally an Asian American stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> and it hit me. I was like, oh, well, like, am I hardworking? Because I've always been told I'm hardworking or am I just hardworking? I don't, like, I, did, I had this whole epiphany. Like, I don't actually know. Like, when you're told something your whole life, like, it's almost because, like, yeah, that, that happens, resonates right? with me. You can't really escape that. It's like born into our blood. <laughs> right. Beyond yeah. Like, a, yeah, of course you're, you know, whatever, X, Y, Z. And, and I, so I, yeah, it was a big, it was an interesting moment on the campaign trail for me. Um, and, and so after I covered him, I covered Bloomberg, which, I mean, that cannot be like more different <laughs> either. Like from Yang yeah. to Bloomberg, um, yeah. Yang had a, a smaller staff. Bloomberg had like every person who had, you know, whose candidate dropped out of the race basically um, and poured millions into his campaign in a very short period of time and a fascinating race to cover as well. So, yeah. And when you look back on, you know, your career so far, what, what do you feel like have been the highlights? What's your highlight reel look like? Oh my gosh, um, that's, that's hard. I, look, I mean, for sure, the campaign trail was incredible, right? And then also covering the pandemic has been crazy. I mean- Oh yeah, once in a yeah, lifetime, you know, hopefully, we hope. <laughs> I hope so, right? And, and that's something I, I'll never forget. I mean, having initially, you know, to interview people, um, the way our work has changed, interviewing people over Skype um, and Zoom, um, but they can't look the campaign trail like nothing compares to that. I, I can't wait to be a part of, you know, future elections and, and campaign events. It, it really is the best way to be an American. Um, I, I traveled to, I think, 25 states in just a short, very, very short period of time, just a few months. Um, Iowa predominantly for most of those months. Um, <laughs> but there's course. something just beautiful about watching people take part in the political process and, yeah. you know, um, See people so engaged. Yeah. I mean, it's our right as Americans, and we need to participate in the process to move progress along in this nation. So, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it was, that it was, you're... Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was cool. It was, it was, it was really, it was really something. Um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of any, any more highlights, but gosh, just the whole thing. I, mean, I, I will say, like, back to the point of, of, the thing I will never forget is seeing Kamala Harris in those last few weeks and then seeing the comeback. Um, And that's had a big impact on, um, on how we think about her. You know, I I think a lot of people will look back and maybe think about her success as VP and I will never forget. um, I, I will always think about it as this incredible comeback story. Yeah. I mean, that's an amazing experience that you were even able to see that 
behind the curtain look of it and then to have it come back all around and become this wonderful story of success I mean that's amazing part of your yeah. story too and I know you say that you don't see yourself as a trailblazer but if you think of all the trailblazers that are out there they started somewhere right and they had humble beginnings and you know that may be where you are now I mean if you don't want to recognize that you're you're trailblazing yet um, and it's great that you know I think you're giving back in terms of you, you speak to the young girls that reach out to you and, and you give back what was given to you because that's so important in terms of how we build. And, and I, you know, forward. and I try to, and I'm sure I know there's a lot of other correspondents and reporters who do this too, but I try to also just without people reaching out to me, reach out to the younger, younger people at my work because there's so few people who did that for me when I was, yeah. you know, when, when I, when I was um, younger myself and um, and look, that's not to say I had amazing mentors there, there were folks. Um, but, but I know the power of also reaching out to, to younger people. Um, yeah. Cause you personally means. know the difference that it makes. So what's, yeah. what's next for you? Like what's on the horizon for you? Have you thought about that? Oh my gosh. Like actually going into an office regularly would be nice. <laughs> 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 One day, you know, I mean, I think it's going to be soon. I'm excited for that. Um, I've never had this very job in, in a non-pandemic time, um, you know, doing GMA and, and world news, you know, on the weekends and, and you know, the, the local news hits I do and, and you know, GMA on the weekdays. I've never had those jobs normally um, pre-pandemic. I was an embed pre-pandemic, but it was totally different. And so I'm just excited to go back to really go back to a sort of normal experience of being a correspondent. Um, and then we'll see. I mean, would I love to cover a campaign again? Like as crazy as it sounds. Yeah. Like, I'm like, you don't, you don't sleep at all. Like those few months if you're covering a campaign and it's so stressful. Um, but it is really the job of a lifetime. And if you could have it twice, why not? Right. Yeah. And you mentioned um, earlier, you had said that, you know, one of the jobs that you had secured, it wasn't easy to get. Um, I think it was the Los Angeles one that you mentioned. It was a difficult job to to get. Like, what would you attribute that to in terms of um, what you brought to the table? Is it was it your connections? Was it your grit? Oh, oh the, the, LA, the L.A. job. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, gosh, I mean, like, yeah, and what watching your parents just work so hard and then the grit. I'm, every job has its own sort of like how how you got the job, I think, right? Like for me, actually, I will say there's 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 a pattern for me. It sounds crazy, but I got almost all my jobs through social media. <laughs> really? Weird. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll give an example. The ABC job, I was listening to Jonathan Carl and Rick Klein's political podcast. Mm -hmm. powerhouse politics and yeah it's they said uh they're talking about the guy they're talking to the guy from homeland and they mentioned um something about pakistan and jonathan carl actually said it the correct way he was like yeah yeah da -da -da -da, pakistani and i heard it and i remember thinking oh my gosh he said it right like that's so cool um so few reporters and anchors do and i tweeted him I tweeted him and um recline i was like hey great interview and loved how you said pakistani correctly and Rick Klein, our political director, added me back and I DM'd him and I messaged him and I he said, hey, I love the podcast and I stayed in touch with him and I sent him tips from like 
you know, just being on the West Coast, West Coast politics for months afterward. And we stayed in touch. And um, it was like months later that I was like, hey, by the way, I really want to cover the 2020 race. And he was like, oh, really? Well, I'm actually the guy who who hires for, you know, oh my for that. Gosh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, great. Yeah, we should get on the phone. And we did. And we, we you know, we hit it off. We'd already been, you know, talking over DM for months. And right. um, it ended up being a really long process, but I ended up getting hired. But it was literally from like, keeping in touch with him on Twitter and like um, just really appreciating what he did and kind of uh, sending him like my thoughts along the way. And when I got to LA, um, I, I was like, back then I was way more of a social social media junkie and I loved yeah. Twitter and Facebook. Facebook, I'm like barely ever on Facebook anymore, but um, I was so fascinated by the idea of like getting news and information out through these different platforms yeah. And so when I got my freelance gig in LA at the time, at first, at first it was freelance and it was a couple of days a week and they had this crazy thing where they would like this company that ranked us by social media, like engagement. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't know. So I was kind of high up, like, cause I just really liked it. And, and there was a manager at work who was like, Hey, Zareen, your score is kind of high. He's like, if you just put a little more time into it, like you probably have the highest score in the whole market. And I was like, really? Like, I, I'll totally do that. And so like, I like replied to every person who like tweeted me. I, I like added like a zillion people. I like, I did everything. I was like posting all day long about nothing at the time. Like at the time there were selfies, right? Like some yeah. crazy self-promotion and um, same with Facebook. And within time, like my audience and the interactions just keep kept growing and growing. And I was the top person. He was right in the whole LA market yeah. um, for a period of time. And people, all of a sudden people have noticed and they were like, who, who is this girl? And they were like, we should probably offer her a full-time job. Yeah. And it took, it took, a, it took a, a few months, but eventually I got offered a full-time job, which is really hard in, in the LA market. Um, but yeah, I have a bizarre social media story for every, um, every sort of job. And my advice is, I'm sure people listening are like, Oh my gosh, do I need to be a social media freak? Like, I think it was just like, I, I really like, however you connect with people, like do that, you know, because all these jobs are about connecting. And for me, it just was the natural thing to do to like connect with viewers through Twitter, connect with my future boss also on Twitter. Um, (laughs) It's I funny because that. I'm so, so I'm so anti now. Like I'm like so overly cautious about everything I tweet and say. I like barely ever post anymore because I'm like the old lady now. But um, but yeah, I that's, mean, that's that's all of us uh, older know, people right? trying to figure out social media. Hundred <laughs> percent. Oh man, I I I really love that you were able to tell us your story. And you know, as we wrap up the show as we usually do, um, a fabric of part of the show is to end each episode with a love letter to the community. So (laughs) when you're ready, (laughs) I would love for you to take us out with a few words you'd like to share, starting with Dear Asian Americans. Family is so important in our communities. This pressure that many of our parents have for us to get that specific job is often so intense. You know, for me, it certainly was. Um, but even if your parents don't immediately accept or understand what you do, if they're like mine, you know, for, me, for my parents it took years 
before they, I think, completely kind of came around and understood a big chunk of it, um, there's going to be a moment where they get it. And, you know, sometimes it's a decade in the making, but it's really, really exciting when that moment happens. Um, and often the road is really, really lonely. Um, and the load and the responsibility of making sure your work perfectly represents your community or helping your coworkers understand maybe your community feels, feels heavy. Um, but there is also this beauty to oftentimes being the first or being an only and embrace that because hopefully very soon we will have fewer of these stories where we will be the first and the only. So yeah, I think that's my letter. Well, thank you, Zareen. I mean, that's exactly right. Um, you may be the first, but you're not going to be the only as more and more years pass. And um, we have more representation in this world. So thanks for sharing your story again. It was so nice having you on and hearing, you know, really how you have become a master of your destiny in a way, how you're oh, owning it. Even, even, even the decision with the eggs and and going for that embed job. I love that you made that connection. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah. yeah. But even going for that embed job, despite, you know, I think that is also just an example of, you know, in our heads sometimes, you know, monetary success sometimes equates success for our parents, right? But you knew that that was something that you wanted to do and you followed your passion and you got to witness something that not many people do. Um, and it ended up being life-changing for you. So, I mean, that's that's a great lesson as well. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you I for know. doing this and having yeah. a place where people can listen to these stories. And um, you are a trailblazer too. Uh, <laughs> being you. a woman, an Asian American woman doing this podcast. So thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks again. We'll see you soon, Zareen. Thanks, Hilo. Bye. Bye. A big thank you to Zareen for coming on and sharing her story and to Tiffany for hosting all the amazing conversations that we are hearing here on the Asian Americans during the month of March as we celebrate Women's History Month. Zareen is a part of the Asian American Journalists Association, and, and that's a group of friends that we love supporting. They're raising money right now for a, a mental health therapy fund for their journalists. As you can imagine, they are on the front lines uh, witnessing, having to report talk to victims of all these horrific and heinous crimes, whether they be in major cities of dense Asian population or in parts of the country where they may be the only person of color or Asian descent in their newsroom. So uh, there's going to be a link in the show notes if you are uh, able to join us there, or you can find the link through our Instagram link in bio. And would love for you to join us in contributing to that fund, which is a GoFundMe. If you enjoy this episode, we encourage you to share it out with your friends and let folks know about the Asian Americans. There are ways to support the show if you'd like to support us financially, and you can either uh, do that by uh, buying some merch at our merch store, which can be found at bit.ly slash shop, or you can just, if you want to support us and, and me personally in sharing our Asian American stories here at Just Like Media, you can go to buyjerryacoffee.com. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We are really excited to continue sharing the amazing stories and inspirational stories of the women in our lives here on the Asian Americans through the month of March. And we, again, thank you for joining us and wish you health, safety, and happiness as we always do. But it seems to carry a different meaning this week. So let's take care of each other and ourselves, and we'll get through this together. Thank you.